Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 153. If you like Twilight Imperium 4, try out these other games. We like to thank our Patreon backers for helping us bring you an ad-free episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Hey, Anthony. How's it going, my friend? Pretty good. Pretty good. How you doing? Doing well. Looking forward to recording our upcoming bonus episode for our Patreon backers. Yeah, guys. So we've been saying this for a while, but we actually had uh, enough people join on Patreon. Uh, thanks, guys. Everybody out there who backed. That we're putting together a bonus episode this week. So if you are a backer on Patreon already, you're going to get that and we will send that out to you in the next week or so. If you're not, head on over to patreon.com slash BGA and you can um, back and you will get access to that bonus episode. And we'll probably be doing these every month or so because share the love and some interesting topics that we probably wouldn't talk about normally on the show. Um, going a little more in depth on stuff uh, on the bonus episodes. So I wasn't there on the Slack channel for this upcoming poll that we had where the people on Patreon actually kind of give us suggestions on what we should be doing for our bonus episode. So Anthony, come on, hit me with this. Is it is it politics? Are we talking about what's going on across the country and across the globe? Or maybe it's Star Wars, right? They finally want to hear our last Jedi review. <laughs> or maybe it's Game of Thrones, right? There's going to be a, you know, a block where nothing's going on. They want us to fill it. So which, which is it? Uh, it's some board games. They want to hear about more board games. Lots of board games. <laughs> Apparently, we do a good job of talking about board games, man. Yeah, so at the beginning of the month, every month, I'm going to post a poll in the Slack group. If you are on our Patreon at all, at any level, you're in the Slack group. Join us for the conversation. And you can uh, let us know what you think in the poll. And the poll this month, everybody said they wanted a bonus episode focusing on a designer. And one of the designers, one of the top designers we had not yet talked about in depth was Eric Lang. So that's what we're doing. That's about as much of a promo as we're going to give you. If you want to hear the whole thing, hop on over to Patreon. You can see what that's about. All right. So be sure to jump on our Patreon account so that you can determine the future of my conversations with Anthony. And maybe one day we'll finally get around to that Last Jedi review, but I don't know. We've already done it. You just, <laughs> you haven't heard it. <laughs> We've had multiple hour-long conversations about this movie. You guys would love to hear it. I'm just saying, like, back, let us know, put it in the Patreon poll. Maybe we'll uh, <laughs> we'll share our very divergent opinions on the movie. It's true. And if you can't get a chance to do that yourself, you know, the best thing you can do for the podcast and for board gaming in general is letting people know about Board Gamers Anonymous. Let them know that there's a weekly podcast out there. Let them know about the Facebook account where they can jump on there and talk about anything board game related and let us know about your opinions and how we can, you know, focus the future of the show. So, Anthony, speaking of which, what's going on with our Facebook account? What is our question of the week? Alrighty, so I have had a chance recently, and this is the game I want to talk about at the table today, to play Gaia Project. So Ooh. it got it in my head. Asymmetrical player powers. What is the favorite implementation of asymmetrical powers or starting conditions? And people generally like this a lot. I got a lot of responses. 
Uh, we had Imperial Settlers, Netrunner, Voyages of Marco Polo, which is one of my personal favorites. Eric mentions Terra Mystica and Gaia Project, which, again, thematically, that's what we're talking about today. So did Chris and Michael. Lots of Terra Mystica love out there. Someone mentioned Vast, thankfully, because that is the ultimate asymmetrical player powers and starting conditions. Sure. Cry Havoc is another great one. My favorite response, though, is from our buddy Dave, who said, I absolutely abhor asymmetrical powers. I want all the player powers to start with the same abilities and the same resources. But then he goes on immediately to say, but I love dominant species, which they're not the same at all. All those all those races have completely different powers. Um, sure. And it does it really well. I agree. Paul mentions cosmic encounters and that he's never played the same race twice. I think there's like 38 of them now. So, of course, he wouldn't. Dune got mentioned a few times as well. It's somehow I've never played Dune, but a lot of people bring it up in a lot of these polls we put up. So yeah, uh, someday I'm gonna have to get that to the table. Yeah, well, think Rex. Yeah, absolutely. Dune's been out of print, and I'm a big Dune fan, at least as far as the books and the movies concerned. So I'm kind of bummed out that it's not out there, but I do hear that as well. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I mean, it, tons of different options here. I love asymmetrical stuff. I'm a big Euro guy, obviously. You guys listen to the sure. show. But having your own unique way to start the game and trying to get to the same goal is always pretty fun. Yeah, I'm huge into that. Typically, I'm looking for a game that lets me build a tableau so I can create my own asymmetrical kind of starting race. But my favorite games have always been asymmetrical just because the idea of playing the game from a different perspective is so exciting. It allows you to make different decisions and typically see the board different. So... Anything asymmetrical, Defenders of the Realm probably is the first thing that pops in my head. It's a co-op game, but it's so asymmetrical that it lets you play things differently. Uh, Spirit Island, that's great. Oh, yeah. All those things are just really so visceral as far as playing the game is concerned. It's it's literally a different game every time you play. So, yeah, bravo. I, I think that's definitely, definitely an outstanding experience in gaming. Yeah, for sure. And I think somebody mentioned Star Wars Rebellion, but I think that and War of the Ring should also be mentioned here because those are kind of like epic asymmetrical experiences. It's 1v1, but just so different uh, on both sides. Absolutely. So if you want to learn more about all the asymmetrical fun that we think about as far as gaming is concerned, don't forget we still have our top 100 games of all time, our, our 2018 edition that's on our website at BoardGamersAnonymous.com. All of our comments, our new comments are up there, so check those out. We're going to point out a lot of asymmetrical gameplay as far as our top 100 is concerned there, so hit that up and hit it up hard. All right, Anthony, that's our question of the week. Let's get on to our acquisition disorders. What are you looking forward to playing? Alrighty, so we talked about this one a little bit before the show, and it I don't know a whole lot about it. I know it is a it's got some worker placement, it's got some drafting, it's got some hand management, some set collection, it's got all these different mechanics because it's on Kickstarter, and if you're on Kickstarter, you need at least three to five mechanics. But it looks fantastic, like artistically. It's called Everdell. The designer is James A. Wilson, and it is just a very pretty looking game. And I don't usually just dive into games being like, this is so pretty, I love how it looks. But there's something about these games, and Root did this, and there's been a couple other games that did this recently, where you're animals in a forest living your lives, and it just reminds me of, like, Disney's Robin Hood or something. Like, (laughs) you've got critters going around just trying to 
complete the tasks that are before them and live their lives and build their little buildings and their and you know keep their towns running and just have a happy life without all these awful things outside kind of getting in the way and everdell definitely has that look and feel it has a solo mode that they've added on the game's doing fairly well on kickstarter right now uh so you can hop on and check that out i think it's still up but it is that's about all i know about it i mean i haven't really dug too much in depth into this game it's just one of those things that like aesthetically it jumped out at me when i saw it you know in the release that we received and it is uh you know one that i'm keeping my eye on everdell that's a, a game i'm looking forward to seeing a little bit more of getting a chance to kind of test it out in the future. Yeah, this game wraps up on its pledge level, at least on Thursday, January 25th. So by the time this episode comes out, you're not going to have a lot of time. So definitely go check this out. One of the things that really drew me to this is obviously, as you said, the artist deck's amazing, but it actually has a giant cardboard tree. Yes. How did I not mention the cardboard tree? <laughs> I don't know. You did not deserve the cardboard tree, my friend. It's mine now. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah no it's uh anything 3d on the board i'm like no now i'm sold because there's a you you build a tree but it does look like a very smart game it's a worker placement game tableau building which are two of my favorite mechanics and we'll see i mean it's being distributed by game salute who sometimes has some of the best games but sometimes has some of the biggest issues on distributing those games but definitely something to check out All right, one of the games I want to talk about for my acquisition disorder for this week is something that's a little different, Fields of Arl, but it's expansion, Tea and Trade. Now, what's in particularly very interesting about this, beyond the fact that it's yet again another wonderful Uwe Rosenberg game, is that this game, Fields of Arl, is a two-player game, and this expansion makes it a three-player game what i know it's so crazy (laughs) typically you don't see dedicated two-player games become three-player games like there's certain like there are your solo games and they're just solo and there are your two-player games and they're just two-player games and there's basically everything else except for like your occasional four-player euro that somehow becomes a five-player euro every once in a while which i know anthony's not a fan of but this is a two-player game. It's typical Uwe Rosenberg game where it's all about resources and shipping and things like that. So this one adds, but of course, T to the equation. And just by allowing a third player to play this game might allow us to get to game night because as Anthony and I know quite well, two-player games are difficult to get to the table at your local meetup. But this one looks excellent. It's components to play a third player. And even if you don't play with a third player, you can use these components and these new resources to play a new game with two players. I love Fields of Arrow. Uh, I've probably only played it solo, maybe once two player. It is relatively long with two players. You're looking at a three hour game with two players. So with, or with two players, with three, I have to imagine it's going to be three and a half, four hours. We'll see. I mean, it's definitely a sandbox. Like you think of the Feast for Odin as a sandbox or Caverna as a sandbox. This is a huge sandbox. There's so many things you can do. So I'm interested to see what it adds to that, to that sandbox. Yeah. I think typically with expansions in general, they always want to up the player count because there's always somebody else who wants to play. But typically when they do that with expansions, it's probably best to play with the new elements at least first, and maybe the extra player doesn't work, but we'll see. 
All right, so that's our acquisition disorders. Now to what's hitting our table. So, Anthony, what actually did hit you to your table? And was it a two- or three-player game, maybe? It was a four-player game, but Whoa. we played with three. We played oh. with three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I called it. You did it. It was um, within the spread. That's all it I'm was, saying. Yeah, yeah. You, you covered the spread. You're good. This is the Gaia Project. This uh, It was actually very high on our top 100 list uh, three weeks ago, and I realized we hadn't actually talked about it on the show, despite the fact it came out six weeks ago and we played it at PAX so we've we've played I've played it now like four or five times and it is Terra Mystica in space uh, everybody says that and immediately most people think like oh a space retheme of Terra Mystica I don't know if I need another game that's the same as Terra Mystica but let me tell you what's different about it uh, because I feel like the differences here and the enhancements really really make it worth checking out so I'm not going to run through everything in this Terra Mystica. You have an asymmetrical race. You will be building out different um, buildings and locations on the map and then connecting them to form, uh, in this case, in the case of Gaia Project, federations. There you go. Now, the difference differences between this one and Terra Mystica are pretty significant while not actually changing the formula. Number one, the board is modular. In Terra Mystica, you have a very static board. If you get the expansion, you get some more options but not a lot this one you have 10 double-sided tiles that change based on player count and it, it makes for a lot of different possible permutations each of the tiles has various different planets and they're different colors based on your race and then there is space between them so you can't just move from location to location and terraform it there are vast areas of space you're gonna have to cover with satellites when you form your federations the player powers they are as you might expect, a little more powerful. Um, there are, again, seven different tiles with two sides each. You have 14 different individual player powers and factions, but they feel a little bit more balanced or a little more streamlined than they did in Terra Mystica. There was a couple in Terra Mystica that just didn't quite work or were very, very difficult. I didn't get that feel in Gaia Project having played through five of them now and seen other people play You know, most of the rest of them. The other huge, huge difference in this game that I have to mention is the developments so the in Terra Mystica you have a priest track and the priest track is or the cultist track I can't even remember what it's called because it's so generic but basically you assign a certain resource you move up the track you're trying to score points occasionally you move power power is a resource you can use to perform additional abilities in Gaia Project, this track is everything. This track allows you to improve your terraforming ability. It allows you to improve your range. So trying to cover that open space to reach new planets. It allows you to acquire new resources and income. It allows you to upgrade your Gaia Project ability. So as the name of the game ensues, you have different types of planets and then you have these Gaia planets that have to be specially terraformed using these Gaia formers that you have to unlock through a special ability. All of this is done on this track. As you go up this track, you get special bonuses. And then as you build certain types of buildings, you get developments and technologies, which also let you move up the track. All these different things play together. And where Terra Mystica occasionally felt a little disjointed, and I love Terra Mystica, it's always been in my top 10, but there were some areas that would feel disjointed, like the cultist track was very separate from your own technologies and your own buildings. It's just something you had to do to score points and get those extra tiles. This game, everything relates to everything else. So there is no like 
streamlined strategy. It all flows together, and you really need to build a plan around all of what you're doing. It is a spectacularly impressive upgrade to Terra Mystica. It's, it's basically like the designers looked at, you know, five, six years of Terra Mystica on the market and said, hey, how do I make this better? How do we improve the couple of things people have complained about? Because this game is obviously, you know, top 20 on Board Game Geek. But how do we make it better? And what do we do about these couple of little issues and balance things? And they fixed it all. And the game just works so smoothly. It's it's really an impressive upgrade. The other thing I want to, up to mention, too, is that there is a solitaire version. Uh, it's designed by the Automa Factory. So the same guy who did the Automa for Scythe and for Viticulture and a lot of other games coming out. And it's very, very good. So if you're a solo gamer and you are interested in playing Terra Mystica solo, Gaia Project lets you do that with a, an Automa deck. So the the one downside here, the one big thing you have to keep in mind, it is more expensive than Terra Mystica. It's $100 instead of 80 It does integrate some of the ideas and concepts from the Terra Mystica expansion. So that offsets a little bit because the expansion for Terra Mystica is 40 bucks, but you are paying more for the base game. If you already have Terra Mystica and love it, I don't know that you necessarily need to buy this as well. But if you don't have Terra Mystica and do like it, I would say get this instead. And if you've had issues with Terra Mystica but thought it was a decent game, try this one out. Um, I'm very happy I picked it up. It is definitely the, the definitive version of this particular formula for me right now. So it's definitely worth you know, tracking down. I'd say it's a buy for sure, unless you already have Terra Mystica and love it. Yeah, I recently got together with some people for a, I guess, Terra Mystica day. And everyone was really loving on Terra Mystica, but the talk of the table was the Guy Project. And having at least tested out a couple of rounds at PAX Unplugged, I was really excited, actually a lot more excited for Gaia Project. I guess for one reason in particular, the modular board setup and how a lot more thought went into those cult tracks really made the difference for me. So I don't own Terra Mystica, always wanted to pick it up just, I guess, because of the price point. It was a little high and out of my budget. And just was not playing a lot with the group, but I definitely, because I don't own Terra Mystica, I would probably pick up Guy Project first. Yeah, I'm kind of torn right now because now at the current moment, I own both. I don't sure. feel like I need to. I don't really want to get rid of Terra Mystica because I really like it still, but I don't see a situation in which I'm going to bring that out ahead of this. It's a better game uh, unless there's like a thematic split. You know, the group I'm with really wants to play a fantasy versus sci-fi, but yeah, definitely. Terra Mystica looks great, too, but Gaia Project really does does it a, just half a step better. Yeah. All right, so I want to talk about a game that I don't know if you would say the artwork is better than any other game that you've ever seen, but it's definitely going to get your attention. Now, if you know anything about board gaming and the craze that's been going on right now, especially when it comes to outrageous artwork, then you know I'm talking about Dinosaur Island. Now, the funny thing about Dinosaur Island is as soon as you start playing Dinosaur Island, you start at least very quietly, at least you think that you are going through the Jurassic Park theme by yourself until you realize everyone else is hearing you and they're starting to sing along a little bit. Now, for the sake of our lawyers, I won't start, you know, singing that. I don't know. By the time of the end of the review, it might come out at some point to Anthony Chagrin. <laughs> there you go. So you get sued, man. <laughs> 
It's less than 10 <laughs> seconds. We're fine. <laughs> okay. Well, I was doing that the whole game, and I was starting to kind of freak people out because this game is known for having an outrageous Kickstarter psychedelic color set. Really strange graphic design. And I remember seeing this on Kickstarter and going, huh, this is this is really a thing here. And especially these kind of custom pink dinosaurs that come with the game. So let me talk about the game. But before I do that, let me thank our friend Ryan from The Whole Card. He does an amazing Twitch channel about board gaming. And he was nice enough to bring this game to the table. So I got a chance to play a game that is really rare as far as being able to get a chance to play it. Because it was a Kickstarter. It's kind of in and out of print. And no one's been able to get their hands on it. Got my hands on it. And let's talk about it. Now, as I mentioned at the start, crazy color palette, and it takes up a huge amount of table space. So when you are playing Dinosaur Island, you're like, I can't kind of like consume all this at once. And we did have a player at the table that was kind of overwhelmed by it. And I thought that that was going to be the case for all of us. Now, the genius behind this game is that the middle board setup actually tells you place in what order. So when you look at the boards, the first board you're gonna take a look at, your phase one board is the research phase board. Now in this board, you are gonna pick DNA samples from dice that are rolled at the start of the phase, colors that are gonna go into your kind of cold storage. So your own player board has tracks where you can hold this DNA. So you might pick a certain die with a certain meeple. In this case, the copy that we had, thanks to Ryan, was the deluxe Kickstarter copy. So it had these nice little beaker meeples that had the one, two, and three on it. So if you place the three with a die that had two pieces of DNA on it, now you got six of that color that you were able to add to your cold storage. Now this is important because later on, you're gonna use that DNA to create dinosaurs. Now beyond that, you're also able to update your cold storage that you can actually hold more DNA. So make a choice here. Am I going to go initially for the right genes that I might want? Am I gonna go for the cold storage? Or am I gonna go for probably the funnest part, which is picking the dinosaurs and the pens that come along with them. This part of the board is really interesting because you're gonna have a picture of the dinosaur. You're going to have the DNA combination that's going to allow you to create the dinosaur. So once again, you get to see the dinosaurs here and you get to see the dice on top and you get to figure out, I need this and I need this and I need that to kind of work together. Now, based upon what meeple one, two, and three you place, you'll be able to get sort of one, two, or three on there. Now, on the it's gonna be the herbivores, and as you work your way down, it becomes small carnivores to very large carnivores. Now, depending on what you pick, that's gonna drop down to your player board. So on one side, you're going to have a lot of your genetic cold storage and where you keep your genes. Then you're going to have your placement for different abilities, but there's gonna be a whole separate board, which is going to be your wonderful park, where you place your dinosaurs, it kind of looks like a bird's eye view of a park, and that's where you start building your dinosaurs. So once you place your initial meeples for that setup, you move on to phase two. Because phase two is going to allow you to use your money, and in this Kickstarter version, insanely incredible metal money. That's probably the thickest metal money that I've ever seen in a board game. It's gonna allow you to pick from two, three, or five dollar special abilities that you'll be able to play onto your kind of like player action board or you can pick up one of the various different shops that come in the game. I think there's three different types 
but there's a number of different shops. So that could be food, that could be rides, that could be purchasing novelties and things like that. Or you could pick up a special bonus card, which is going to be like this personality card that's going to give you a worker, for example, or it's going to give you a special benefit. But whatever you take, it's pretty rare. So pick it up and pick quick. Now, there's an opportunity to not pick those things at all, but you can actually pay basic genetic genes or advanced genes so get those other cards that are in play. Once you pick those things, then you move on to phase three. Now, phase three happens to be my favorite phase because this is where all the magic happens. Now, you've picked up the genetic material from phase one. You picked up the special worker cards now giving you an extra ability, and you picked up the dinosaurs that you put onto your board. Now, this is where you create your dinosaurs, and basically you're placing a meeple. So now this is your worker placement element. Place your meeples, get your money, get your genetic material kind of mixed up in the right combination so you can kind of create a dinosaur that goes under the park. You grab one of these plastic dinosaurs that you get able to put onto your park. If you have the fancy edition, you have a whole number of different dinosaurs that actually go along with the ones you can create. So it's pretty awesome. I really like playing with that part. And then you address your threat level. So if you have those big scary dinosaurs, your threat level is going to go up to be able to spend money to raise your threat level. If it doesn't, you're going to be in trouble because all those people that came into your park because of all the thrills that you brought in, there's a track that tracks your excitement. So the more excitement you have, the more people that you come in, so the more possible victory points. So they pay you money going in, but if your threat level was too high, they're going to get munched before they head on their way out, which is going to lose you the opportunity to score more money or victory points, but you get that money when they come in. Unless you pull from the bag some meeples that are going to give you hooligans. Don't pay to get in. They jump the fence to get in, and they're not going to score you in on the way out. So it's a little bit of a problem, but not a major drawback as far as the game is concerned. Now, as you're going through the game, you're really going to focus on typically three final goals. Now, there's going to be multiple goals available in the game, and typically you're going to have four out there, but once three are scored, the game comes to an end. Now, what's interesting about this game is there's a short version, a kind of medium version, and a long version. And basically, they're not very different from each other. You just have to hit a certain higher number. So maybe instead of five dinosaurs, you need seven, or maybe you need ten, and that scores you that final victory condition. Once three are scored, the game comes to an end. And those people who are able to score those victory point conditions are going to get typically, I guess, three to seven points as, as depending on how long the game is. And there's going to be a kind of game changer deck that's going to start at the beginning of the game. You're going to flip over two cards and that's going to change the kind of global effects of the game. So maybe there's more dice, maybe dinosaurs, you know, cost more. And it's going to just add something different to the game each and every time that you play. As I said, it's a lot. I know I went through a lot, but it's really easy because each step of the game, everyone's going to. This game offers a lot of interesting gameplay because of the global effects, because of the different variable end game conditions, and basically because of the different things that come out. There's a catch-up mechanic in this game. If you're at points early on, you're going to go last. If you're going last, you're going to have the last choice of the things, at least in phase one, and then obviously phase two and so on. So you probably want to stay just to the back and then at some point later on kind of sprint ahead, final goals. This game offers a number of different options for everyone that's there. So Ryan did a great job teaching us the game. I really enjoyed this game. It's obviously on the expensive side because of all the components that come in the game, but it's still a lot of fun and the art doesn't distract too much. Although if you are colorblind, 
This game, I would say, goes the extra step to give you symbols with the colors, but the colors don't always match up like they should. And there's also, I should mention, a really interesting first player marker if you get the deluxe edition, which basically is a slap bracelet. And if you are a kid from the late 80s, you know exactly what that means. And if you're not, you have no idea. You know what? I'm not going to tell you. You got to buy the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for Dinosaur Island, I'm going to give this game, this game's a buy. It, it's a buy. It, it really does something I think that very few games do, which is it's simple enough and it allows you to play through the game with a certain level of complexity. It's just, in all, it's very elegant, despite the kind of like late 80s color palette. Whether or not it necessitates the high cost of the deluxe edition, the gameplay here is heavy enough and rich enough that it's worth the buy, whereas some games... It's just not worth the buy because it's just too, too, too light. Yeah, I've played with both the deluxe and the regular version, and I would say it's sure. it's almost purely aesthetic. It's a really, really, really cool aesthetic, but you don't need it. The gameplay is still good. I I really like the idea that they're like, okay, it's Jurassic Park. When did Jurassic Park get filmed? The 90s. Okay, what was the aesthetic in 1994? Done. That's the game. Like, <laughs> it's nothing to do with Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park had relatively mute tones considering when it came out and this this game is a neon i'm, I'm not gonna say nightmare but it's it's hilarious it's a lot of neon yeah yeah as you said you don't need the deluxe version although the different dinosaurs are great and the money is insane yeah, oh my god i don't think you need the <laughs> you don't need the money for this game but you might want to buy the money because you can play it in other games I mean, obviously, it's it's branded with with the game, but it's it's just the opulent, the money. It's just unnecessarily rich, and it's I think it's heavier than the game. Yeah, yeah, and I, like I know this game's really hard to find right now, but the designers and developers just put up a uh, call for beta testers on not just an expansion, but like a secret special thing that I think is related to <laughs> Jurassic Park. It's possible they might have picked up a license or something related. Wow. Um, there's a new Jurassic World movie coming out this year, but because sure. they wouldn't say what it is. There's a lot new, a lot of new content coming for this soon, so I have to imagine the game itself will also be available. So if you're waiting for it, just be a little more patient. I'm sure it's coming soon. All right, Anthony, that's our At The Table. Let's get on to our feature review. So for this week's feature review, we are talking about one of our favorite features. This is if you like this game, try out these other games. Now, one of the biggest games probably of all time and more recently, thanks to its reprint, has been hitting the table again and again. And that's Twilight Imperium 4. The outrageously produced, outrageously long, and outrageously amazing epic 4X space game that should be on everyone's list at least to play once so that you can say that you played it. I know that it was on my list for quite some time, got to play it recently at PAX Unplugged with Anthony and with our friend Dave and our friend Eddie and really enjoyed the experience. And yes, it was a long time, but I never felt the time. I really enjoyed the game each step of the way. What about you, Anthony? Oh my God, yeah. it was. Uh, it's one of those gaming memories that's like planted firmly in my head now. It's I want to play it more, but like in that same setting. It's true. It's it's something that I guess because of the length and because of the bigness of the game, it's not something that everyone gets to the table. 
But if there is anything you like about Twilight Imperium 4, whether if you played it or whether you admired it from afar, we want to talk about six other games from a little bit lighter to maybe around the same weight as far as gaming and complexity is concerned that you should definitely get to the table because it really has so many of the great theme and mechanics that go along with Twilight Imperium 4. So, Anthony, why don't you start us off on a little bit of the lighter side of that universe and let us know about a great game. Yeah, so when we say lighter, we mean much lighter, uh, at least in my opinion. This is Roll for the Galaxy. And this is kind of a thematic match. So you have a, a space game. You are building out a tableau of different you know, developments and locations. And there's an economy element and lots of different actions you can take. They're surprisingly, when you really sit down and compare these two games, there are a lot of things that are kind of similar. You have, you know, a set number of different actions you can select from every round. There is a select number of ways you can generate victory points. And then there's an end point. When somebody reaches that end point, the game ends. The difference being that this takes 45 minutes and Twilight Imperium 4 takes 6 to 10 hours. So, um, uh, so if you're looking for something that you can play with, kind of a similar thematic feel but without the epic half of a day length i feel like roll for the galaxy really manages to pull that off in a way that even race for the galaxy the card-based version of this game that came first and that most people are more familiar with before roll came out does even better it's more accessible has more options the expansion adds even more stuff to the game and because of the way the dice work and because of the way the different locations work, you can sit down and teach this to people and get it out in about an hour and a half. So that is Roll for the Galaxy, the light, light, light alternative to Twilight Imperium 4. All right. Well, another game on the light side is Quantum. Now, I remember back the day when it came out, and I was like, oh, clearly, clearly they thought about Twilight Imperium, I guess, three at the time when they made this game. Now, in this game, you're not going to have the wonderful ships in Twilight Imperium 4. But with Quantum, you're going to have some really impressive dice. Now, at the start of the game, you're going to roll the dice, and depending on what pips show up on the face, those are going to be the ships that you're going to have to play. Now, don't worry, because it's Quantum, you're basically going to be able to re-roll the ships at different times using special abilities to utilize those ships' special abilities for other things. Now, when those ships are combined, you really kind of work out some awesome different combos. Basically, you're exploring this variable board setup to explore, to exterminate, to settle these different planets, and to upgrade with different technologies. There's definitely some great battling that goes into this game and some wonderful gameplay. It's bright, it's colorful, it's interesting and engaging. That's Quantum. All right, Anthony, let's take it up another step and let's move on to a little bit heavier on that side. So what do you have on the medium weight as far as that's concerned? All right. So this is Star Trek Ascendancy. And when you play Star Trek Ascendancy, it is very clear and evident that they were trying to make a Twilight Imperium with Star Trek game. It is a game that takes roughly an hour to an hour and a half per player. And it only plays three players unless you buy one of the many expansions. It goes up to five at this point. There'll be more in the coming year. And I would still say it's best at three though. And that means it's a three to four hour game. So kind of comparable, a little bit shorter. The basic idea though, is that you have one of the three main Star Trek races. You are Klingons, Romulans, or the Federation. And you are exploring, 
finding new planets, you are fighting each other, you are building nodes on these different planets and generating different resources for production and research and uh, culture, and you are trying to reach a relatively low point goal similar to Twilight Imperium. You only really need five ascendancy to win the game. To generate each of these ascendancy, however, you need five culture points. So throughout the game, you need 20 of these culture points. You need to generate these through a combination of different objectives and discovery and exploration cards and your own production. So the game takes a long time for that reason. A lot of push and pull, a lot of kind of there, you know, once you meet with other of the races, you're going to exchange different cards for different production options and you have these different trade agreements. Uh, so it's got kind of that agenda style push and pull negotiation element to it uh, that Twilight Imperium 4 has. But basically all the different elements of the four X's that Twilight Imperium does are scaled down, you know, maybe to 60%. So they're not, none of them are quite as robust, which is fine because you can't play Twilight Imperium 4 every weekend. You could, if you really like Star Trek, play this game every weekend. It is not so long and so in-depth and so involved that you can't. It also has some expansions. So you can play as the Ferengi. You can play as the Cardassians. You have the Borg expansion now that brings in kind of an external play-against-the-game type of element. Uh, so there's a lot of cool stuff you can do here. The game is fantastic, and it does have a lot of that 4X Twilight Imperium feel to it but not quite as long, not quite as detailed, and not quite as integrated with all the game systems. So it's not a bad thing. It's just an alternative, and I think it's a good one if you really like Star Trek. Well, speaking of Star Trek, there is another great, at least in the medium weight scale, as far as 4X is talking about, is Star Trek Fleet Captains. Now, I talked about Star Trek Fleet Captains before, and what's so interesting and innovative as far as some mechanics that it employs using using some of the Twilight Imperium stuff is there is a variable hex board setup. This is really fun because with Star Trek Fleet Captains, not only is the board kind of set up differently each and every time because as you explore, those tiles, in this case they're kind of paper, but the tiles flip over and then you could have a particular encounter. Now, if you happen to be a big Star Trek fan, you're going to really be interested in this because those encounters are straight from the show. If not, you're just going to be dealing with really interesting nebulas and just different ways to kind of settle different planets, reach certain objective goals, just like in Twilight Imperium 4, and utilize your space fleet and their special ships to conquer the other players. Now, this player count kind of starts with two, but you can even build it up to four. So there's a lot of different ways to play here, a lot of different ships. You're kind of utilizing their special abilities to kind of maximize your 4X fleet. And don't worry if your fleet gets knocked out, just like in Twilight Imperium 4, you can bring them back out to the field even stronger this time. Utilize technology, utilize different crew, and just build up the best universe possible. That is Star Trek Fleet Captains. All right, Anthony, let's talk about the heavier side at least when it matches up to Twilight Imperium 4. So what do we have that at least comes a little bit close? All right, so on the Euro, Euro, very Euro, lots of cube side of gaming, we have Eclipse. Eclipse is a game that has pretty much all the elements of Twilight Imperium 4. You have your exploration, you are putting out different tiles as you explore the, you know, the universe, you're 
fighting with each other over these different spaces. It's possible to get eliminated in this game, despite the fact it takes four to five hours. It has all these different things. There's dice elements, there's grid movement, there's player elimination, you have a modular board, everybody starts with their own player powers. There are, you know, three or four different expansions that add new elements to the game and build it out and create even more complex situations and criteria. And the game itself is actually going to be updated here in 2018 with a second edition, kind of integrating all these things and building kind of a, a best of version of the game, similar to Twilight Imperium. So it is very much a 4X game in space. It is about not just exploring and researching, but also building spaceships and waging war. It has all the stuff that Twilight Imperium has, but it is, you know, to super boil this down, it's like the cube-based Euro lover version of that with a little bit of combat. And when I say a little bit of combat, I don't mean a little bit of combat. It can be a lot of combat if you want it to be, but it's not the core element of the game. It's a unique game in a lot of ways. I feel like you either love it or you hate it, but it is for people who really enjoy this particular style of gameplay uh, with managing your own player board and upgrading and maneuvering different things on your board and you know putting different ships out and making those ships stronger or adjusting what kind of technologies you have available to you. Min-maxing basically what you're capable of doing in the galaxy. Eclipse is the game for you, and it is... Not necessarily on par with Twilight Imperium. It's still a little bit shorter, not quite as in-depth, but pretty darn close uh, for people who are looking for something in that vein. That's Eclipse. And Eclipse is actually getting a reprint coming up, right? Yeah, yeah. The second edition is coming up sometime this year. It's going to update the artwork, uh, streamline some of the mechanics, and integrate some of the better expansions. So pretty much exactly what Twilight Imperium does every five to six years. <laughs> True. All right, so for our final game on, if you like, Twilight Imperium 4, try these other games, is, of course, if it's not Star Trek, it's got to be Star Wars. And Star Wars Rebellion is a really interesting entry into the, I guess, quasi-4X universe kind of thing, because basically this is an asymmetrical game in a lot of ways. You're either playing as the Imperial player, and you're commanding legions of stormtroopers, swarms of TIE fighters, Star Destroyers, even the Death Star all the kind of popular things from the whole Star Wars universe. And basically, you're trying to track down the Rebel Alliance, utilizing some of these kind of explore options, the encounters with the Rebe Rebellion in order to wipe them out, and just settling, expanding, just being the Empire. On the opposite side, the Rebels are trying to hide their base, and they have all of their familiar ships. So you have the X-Wings, you have all the Corellian Corvettes, and you're just basically trying to defend as the Empire is doing all this kind of fun 4X stuff. You're doing a little bit of it too. But basically, you're trying to hold out, sabotage the other player, trying to meet certain objectives like in Twilight Imperium 4. And honestly, some of the most amazing miniatures in a standard board game comes in Star Wars Rebellion. So you're going to find an outstanding, albeit a little bit heavy, game that's going to really kind of bring you you know, Star Wars basically in a box. All right, so that is our six games you should check out if you like Twilight Imperium 4. Try out these other games. They're all going to be a little lighter than Twilight Imperium 4, but they're going to offer you some outstanding Twilight Imperium 4 gaming experience, whether it's the 4X, whether it's the space universe, whether it's the variable player powers, 
you are definitely going to enjoy all of these wonderful Universal games. Okay, so that's everything for this time. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat in a universe far, far away. <laughs>